to the week before, the Sunday before Lent, and that takes us to, uh, believe it or not, next Sunday, that takes us to the Transfiguration. So we're going to hear some of the things that are going on in that particular event that takes place. But today we remain in Matthew chapter 5. We start in Psalm 119. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Oh Lord, we long for you. We long to hear your voice. For some of us, we, we don't realize that that is actually what our longing is. We just know that there's a void. We just know that there's an emptiness. We sense that we need something. As the great saint of old wrote, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Our longing, O Lord, is for you. So today, dear Father, as we gather around your word, we ask that our restless hearts would be stilled. We ask that our troubled minds would be at peace. We ask that we might see the one who is the Prince of Peace face to face. That we might hear you speaking plainly and clearly to us. And so may we know the peace that he brings. Now hear us as we pray. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Before I start reading this, this passage from, from Psalm 119, this is just an interesting thing. I mean, this is not part of the sermon. This is just an interesting moment that, that some of you may be interested in. Some of you may be, oh, here he goes again. But this is just a wee interesting piece. Um, if you look in your Bible, okay, at Psalm 119, you will see that it's divided up into sections. Do you see that? Yeah. Okay. Each section has a name. The first section is called Aleph, the second section is called Beth, Gimel, Daleth, and so on. And you're probably thinking, well that's an interesting thing, I wonder what that's all about. Or you might be thinking, those are headings, and that's as far as it goes. But here, here's, here's what's interesting about this. These headings are actually the names of the letters of the Hebrew Bible. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, and so on. They are the names of the letters of the Hebrew Bible. And this psalm, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's the longest psalm. Each section is named for one of the letters throughout the entire Hebrew alphabet. Okay? And uh, each section begins... Let me take one step back. Each sentence in each section begins in Hebrew with that particular letter. So, for example, in this section that's entitled Aleph that we are reading today, every single line 
Every single sentence begins with the letter Aleph. You get into the next section, verses 9 through 16, every line begins with the Hebrew letter Beth, and so on and so forth. Because this whole psalm is all about the law of God. It's all about the word of God and the way it was written. It was written to reflect that not just the word, but the letters that make up the words speak to us of who God is. So there's a wonderful gift in this psalm if you're aware what you're looking for. Uh, It's an acrostic. And each section, each line has a particular letter that it begins with. And it points us to the nature of Scripture as the Word of God. So let's read these words together. Uh, Psalm 119, beginning at verse 1, under this heading, Aleph. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then from Matthew chapter 5, flip over to the New Testament. If you have the pew Bibles there, it's on page 4. Matthew chapter 5, and we begin reading at verse 21. 21 through 37. We continue to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said... Uh, To those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. And go, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going uh, with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and and the judge hand you over to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. 
and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a hard passage, isn't it? There's an awful lot in this particular passage today. We're going to focus in on a couple of of verses. Actually, we're going to look at verses 23 and 24 more closely. Um, But first, I want to think just a wee bit about what what this uh, weekend has been. Uh, For for most of us, I think we're aware that this weekend is uh, is Valentine's weekend. I know that, that Friday the kids had off school, not because it was Valentine's Day, but they were off school because it's President's weekend um, but it's a it's a big celebration it's a it's a celebration of 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 love and all things loving you know you take your loved one out for a beautiful meal with violins and roses and then you treat them normally again the next day don't you <laughs> um, Maureen and I on on Friday we had the opportunity to go to one of the nursing homes in New Providence and we were we were leading a, a, a service there, and uh, in the middle of the service, Maureen asked, asked the question of, of, of the residents. Um, most of them are in their 80s and 90s, and she asked them the question, um, what to you is the secret of a long and happy marriage? What to you is the secret of a long and happy marriage? Now, I would imagine that some of you who have been uh, together for a, for a long time. Some of you, you know, your spouses are no longer with you. Uh, they've, they've passed on. But you could look back and you could say, this was the secret of a long and of a happy marriage. It was one of the, one of the souls who was there on, uh, on Friday afternoon. She called, she called out, you know, when Maureen said, what's the secret of a, of a long and happy marriage? And she said, this and it's lovely she said not when uh, the the secret of a long and happy marriage is not just that your husband and wife but that you have to be friends you have to be friends that was absolutely lovely Uh, a minute later her husband was coming down the hallway in his wheelchair he's had a stroke and he was coming down the hallway in his wheelchair and Maureen said someone else tell me what's the secret to a long and happy marriage and he shouts out at the top of his voice a subservient wife (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) to which his wife rolled her eyes and said you also need a sense of (laughs) humour So Valentine's, Valentine's Day is an absolutely lovely day where we can recognize the love that we have for, for one another. At school, um, all, the, all the children, they take their little Valentine cards and their stickers and their candies and everybody gets a Valentine card, don't they? That's something that, that is culturally appropriate, I suppose, in many ways. But I remember when I was growing up in Scotland, I don't know if, if you remember this type of thing, Maisie, 
But when I was growing up in Scotland, you didn't do that. You didn't, you didn't make your Valentine's Day mailbox and throw all your, your cards in there. So everybody got, everybody, everybody got. Yeah, everybody had to get. That wasn't how things were back in the day. Valentine's Day was about um, sharing your secret love, as it, as it were. You know the old song, once I had a secret love. You know that one? Yeah? So it was about letting your, your, uh, the, the, the one that you admired from afar know that somebody liked them and somebody loved them, but you never said who it was. You signed the card, your Valentine, you didn't put your name on it. And what that did was, it made a lot of little boys feel horrible in the next few days when all of the girls that they really, really liked had no idea that they had given the cards, but they always ended up liking somebody else. And they didn't like all those poor little boys. And it ended up with all this heartbreak and all this unrequited love. And it's awful, but for little kids, there's a cuteness to that, isn't there? There's a cuteness to that. Um, but there's also a sense in which this unrequited love points towards it points towards uh, rejection, doesn't it? And it points towards brokenness, doesn't it? In kids, there is something that's maybe a little cute about a little boy trying to declare their love for a little girl and being rejected. But in adults, it's quite a different story all together. This whole passage that we read this morning speaks in many ways about the brokenness that there is in so many relationships. And if we look at some of the, some of the relationships that even we are in ourselves, we see brokenness at a lot of very, very different levels. I know many of us have children, many of our children are, are grown, uh, some of our children are still quite young, but there comes a point, I think, in our relationships with our children where our children start to assert their, their own independence and their own uh, character and they, they begin to be the person that they think that they want to be uh, as they go uh, further through high school, as they go to college, as they leave college and go into their place of work. Sometimes our children are not quite what we thought they would be or what quite we dreamed that they might be, what they might become. And for some parents, that's something that's very, very very difficult and sometimes the relationships that we have with our children end up breaking down and there ends up being a type of not unrequited love but certainly rejection how many times have you heard a parent say to their child you're no child of mine that happens more often than I think many of us would care to admit you're no child of mine. A relationship has broken down. Unfortunately, we also see that happen not just in the relationships between parents and children, but don't we see it in, in so many marital relationships as well? The husband or the wife, they have a, they, uh, in, 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 the, in the courting relationship, isn't there, isn't there something lovely that we try to show of ourselves in that particular relationship? We show our best side all too often and then when the ring is on the finger then the true colors often start 
to show and the relationship begins to break down and the one spouse perhaps likes to think that he or she is still single and carries on their life as if they were still single uh, with little thought for the one that they have claimed to love and those relationships break down and there is pain and there is betrayal and there is hurt and there is sorrow we also see it in uh, brothers and sisters don't we sometimes the harshest breakdowns are between brothers and brothers or brothers and sisters uh, where one has a grand idea of what the other should be and brothers and sisters can be remarkably arrogant in terms of how their sibling should be and how their sibling should behave and their sibling can also be equally as arrogant and the relationship can break down horribly all of these are relationships where people have not drifted apart but have behaved in such a way that have caused those relationships to fall apart and don't we see that all too often in the Christian church as well we see Christian brothers and sisters act in ways that would cause us sometimes more than sometimes to say to ourselves is this person truly a Christian is this person truly a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ has this person truly been reborn of the Holy Spirit some of the worst people I have ever known and you may be able to echo this some of the worst people that I have ever known are people who claim the name of the Lord Jesus as their Savior and Lord and they are some of the most petty and some of the most childish some of the most selfish some of the most self-righteous and arrogant people and they claim the name of Christ these so-called Christians and the behavior that some Christians have towards others um, causes a tremendous breakdown doesn't it between uh, others within the context of the Christian family and we find hurt and we find pain and we find uh, sorrow I wonder is it is it any is it any wonder that very often in Scripture we are described as the children of God because all too often our behavior towards one another can be extremely childish our responses towards the bad behavior in another often manifests itself in terms of of pouting in terms of sulking going off in the corner and doing our own thing and I'm just going to ignore them it's the easiest choice all too often for us but here's the thing that we find in this particular passage from Matthew chapter 5 on the lips of Jesus himself he will not let us do that he will not let us do that let me read these words again from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother then come and offer 
your gift. Did you notice what's happening here? As you bring your gift to the altar, as you bring your gift into the place of worship, as you bring yourself into the place of worship, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. There you remember that you have done something to harm your brother or your sister. What does Jesus say to do? Oh, forget about it. It's okay. Or go and sit and pout in the corner. No, he doesn't. He says, leave your gift at the door and go and make things right. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, to your sister. And then come and offer your gift. But he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it there. I hope you still have your Bibles handy. I want to ask you to flip over a few pages to Matthew chapter 18 and to verse 15. So in Matthew 5, we find Jesus saying to the one who has done the wrong, go and make things right with your brother or sister. In Matthew 18 and verse 15, we read this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Who has the initiative? Who takes the initiative there? The one who has been wronged. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Which one is right? If I have done the wrong, am I the one that's to go? Or if I have had the wrong done to me, am I the one to go? Who's supposed to take the initiative? Well, some might read this and say, well, this is a contradiction, isn't it? Well, no, it's not a contradiction. It's not a contradiction at all. What this, these two passages are pointing us towards is that the one who has done the wrong and the one to whom the wrong has been done, both of them need to take the initiative. And it becomes almost like a journey, doesn't it? One coming from this side, one coming from the other. And the two of them meeting at the center. The two of them meet together right in the middle. And you know what is right in the center? It's the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We meet together at the foot of the cross. And that's why this passage takes place in the context of worship, doesn't it? When you look at, when you look at uh, chapter 5 and verses 23 and 24, it says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, it's in the context of uh, worship. And the location is so vital, it's so important for us to be paying attention to that. Because in the very presence of God, we are reminded... We are reminded of the reconciling work that God has done in and through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are very few places in Scripture that speak about people being reconciled to each other using that particular word. The image is in Scripture many, many times and in many, many places. But by far the clearest picture of reconciliation is between God and humanity. And that work of reconciliation is done through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in scripture that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. 
That work of reconciliation brings us through Christ and through Christ alone back into a relationship with God. That is the work of Christ. Now here's an interesting thing. Turn, if you would, also to to 1 John. It's towards the back of the Bible. It's right before Revelation. If you find the maps, you've gone too far. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 20 says this, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you are out of fellowship with your brother and sister and you're determined that you're not going to get back into fellowship with them for whatever reason, if you're harboring anger in your heart, Jesus says that anger is akin to murder. You are essentially wishing that person dead. How many of you have heard or even used the phrase, you're dead to me? It's at the heart of anger, isn't it? And Jesus says, stop. When you're faced with the reconciling work of Christ in the context of worship, you are reminded of the brokenness that there is in our relationships. And we're called in Christ to heal those relationships and to make them whole. Some of you may be familiar with the story of a man called Nicky Cruz. Um, He was a a young man from Puerto Rico. Uh, He came to Brooklyn in the 1950s, the early 1950s, when he was 15 uh, years old. Uh, He settled there and things were very, very difficult for him. It was in a period in the, in the history of New York where there was a tremendous amount of, uh, of gang violence. Uh, Nicky Cruz became a member of a gang called the Mau Maus, uh, named after a, a, a group of people in Kenya at the heart of some horrific tribal war. They named themselves after the, this, this, these people of violence. And the Mau Maus and many of the gangs, some of you may be familiar with with, with this, uh, there was tremendous violence that was done within the gangs themselves, and uh, uh, there was a lot of violence between the gangs. In 1958, there was a young man called David Wilkerson who came, he was a preacher from Pennsylvania. He came and he was struck by the way that these young men were caught up in this cycle of violence and the cycle of abuse. They were harming themselves, they were harming each other. And his heart was filled with sorrow, his heart was filled with pain as he saw what was going on there. Uh, He left his small country church and went to New York City and started to preach to these young men. And he was faced with, with ridicule and violence himself. He was struck, he was spat upon, But again and again, he kept on telling the story and kept on telling them, you are loved. Nicky Cruz, who by this time was one of the leaders in this gang, the Mau Maus, encountered David Wilkerson. 
And when he heard this message, you are loved. You are loved by God. It was a message that he had never heard before and he had no idea what to do with this particular message. He was terrified, but he was angry in the face of this. He didn't like the way that he was beginning to feel. And he continued in this cycle of violence. Until one day, when David Wilkerson was preaching, and preaching from the text, John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Nicky Cruz, in that moment, had a complete breakdown. His heart was torn apart. His heart was torn open in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as the word was being proclaimed to him. He came face to face with his own brokenness, the brokenness that there was in all the relationships around him, the violence that he had caused. And he broke down. And he said, Lord, I am so sorry. I am yours from this moment. And the very next day, the very next day, he gathered together all his weapons, his guns, his knives, everything that he had. He gathered members of his gang who that same night had made a commitment to follow Christ. And he went to the, he went to the local police station. And they handed all their, their weapons in. And from that moment, rather than being an agent of violence, he became an agent of reconciliation. Because at the foot of the cross, he saw all that Christ had done for him. And faced with the reconciling work of Christ. And his own brokenness and his own need for reconciliation. He gave himself over fully to the Lord Jesus. Friends, for us, so many of our relationships are broken. For so many of us, we are in need of reconciliation, and yet for so many of us, we fail to recognize that. As we gather in worship, as we gather at the foot of the cross, may we see the work that Christ has done May we see that God in Christ has reconciled us to him. And where our relationships are broken, may we begin the work of reconciliation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our hymn is 169, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, forgive our foolish ways, hymn 169.